0: But I want to begin by reading a verse that is a well-known Christian verse. If you've been a follower of Christ for any length of time, you've heard the verse. If you're new to the church, new to Christianity, maybe you haven't yet. But put the verse up on the screen. It's Romans 3, 23. And I would like for all of us to read this verse if you would join me. And here we go. For all have sinned and fall short of the... Glory of God. Now, if you're taking notes, if you're not, no, no problem. But if you're taking notes, in your notes there, would you underline or circle the words, fall short? Because that's where I'm going to key off this day. Because everyone who has sinned, and that's every one of us in this room, one of the results of sin is that we fall short. Now, the obvious, obvious answer or... Uh, offshoot of that is that we all fall short of eternity. That once I've entered into sin that my eternity has now changed directions and now it's in jeopardy. I'm not not spending my eternity with Jesus. And so Jesus comes to correct that trajectory, realign it by coming to a cross, dying there, carrying our sins, shedding His blood and it's His blood that forgives us and cleanses us of all sin. And when I put my faith in Jesus by virtue of that and his resurrection from the dead, new life, now the trajectory of my life has now changed and it's back on course to where God intended it to be. And so that's the obvious first thing. So we fall short eternally. But there's another thing that happened in the fall in the sin of mankind. Not just eternally are we off kilter, We're also it affects us internally. There's something inside of us now as a result of sin and shame that I will prove to you and show you in a bit that says I fall short. I I don't really have what it takes is the idea. And so I want to present this idea in this reality today. I was in a meeting in this room 12 years ago when we were going through, and maybe some of you were there, there were a few in each service that were there, the first time we ever went through the book by John Eldridge, Wild at Heart. Were you in that room? Were you ever taken that book? You ever read that book before? How many have ever done that? Okay, so Wild at Heart. John Eldridge makes a statement in the book and in the video series that we watched with the book, and when he said it, I remember thinking to myself, that gives perfect definition to something I was trying to put a label on that's in this Bible that really gives it a working good definition. And he said this about men, but it's true of every one of us. He said that men down in the inner workings of who they are, there is a struggle among many struggles that takes place. And one of the struggles that men struggle with is, do I have what it takes? Do I have what it takes? And then fill in the blank of whatever that thing is that you might struggle with. Do I have what it takes to do this or to be that or whatever it is? Do I have what it takes? Now, that's the I fall short syndrome. Now, let me add a little bit more to that by way of introduction. In counseling, I stumbled upon these two lies that people seem to believe in, and I believed in myself for a long time. The first lie leads to the second lie, and the second lie couples with the first lie. And the first lie that I've stumbled upon in counseling people was that many people believe that when it comes to a certain sin or addiction or an area where we struggle in, that we are the only one on the planet that actually struggles with that right there. How many of you, have that sits in your mind sometimes. I'm the only one that struggles. Raise your hand. I want to know. Come on, we're in church. How many struggle with that? Now, with that said, There is a second lie that hooks on the first lie. And that is, if I'm the only one that struggles in that area, therefore, since I am the only one, second lie is no one will understand me because they've never gone through it. And since no one will understand me, I don't have to drop my guard or open up or share. It's better just to play it safe and keep it all locked in inside. Has anybody ever fallen upon any of those lies like that, right? This is a very common satanic scheme. Now, with that said, this I fall short, do I have what it takes? Think about this. There's a catchphrase that is circulating all over, not just in church, but outside of church. And it seems like a high percentage of people are using this a lot now and we're screaming for authenticity. Have you heard that one a lot lately? I want people to be authentic. I'm an authentic person. But I always wonder, and I've never said this out loud, it's the first time I'm going to say it. I wonder how many of us that screen for authenticity, I'm for authenticity, how many of us are not even 50% authentic? How many of us don't even drop our guard fully? If we're authentic, then share it, open it up and share the whole thing, drop it out there. But get it out there. And the reason why we don't share it is because it's this I fall short. Do I have what it takes? I got to cover up, and I question myself, and I self-doubt myself. Now, in that thought, hold on to right there, because we're going to delve, dive deep into this idea, and then we're going to show you a lot of different things as we go along. So hold the thought. Let's read the key verses for this series. Now, if you're a person in your 20s, early 30s, younger, please pay close attention, because these are things that if you get... If you get healing from this at a younger age, you're going to have a better later on. You're going to have a greater later in your life. Those of us who are older, we will wish we had dealt with this in our younger years because it would have led to a lot more stepping out, experiencing, just branching out and taking risks that we knew we should have done in life. So read with me. Would you help me out here? Matthew 11, 28, 29, 30. Here here we go all together. Come to me. All who are weary in heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus goes on to say, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Stop right there because that's our key phrase. The soul is the inner you. It's the emotions. It's the seat of all emotions. It's what you feel, which affects how you think. So he's trying to get into that inner part of us. Verse 30 says, read it for my yoke is easy, my burden is, it's light, so Jesus comes along, and he wants to lighten things up, and this I fall short syndrome, is one of the heavy ones, because when mankind sin, and we've all sinned, shame enters the world, shame says I've done wrong, I'm I'm sorry, they've sinned, sin says I've done wrong, I've done bad, shame says I'm wrong, I'm bad, it's toxic, it's poisonous. it's the I fall short syndrome, now, We're going to go into Genesis 3, which I, after 30-some years of studying that thing, I've come to the conclusion that all of our relational problems, all of our emotional problems, all the ways that we have trouble in our us stuff, our us relationship in our marriage, romantic relationships, friendship, teamwork, sibling, family, co-work, whatever it is, that's where it's all in there. If you just really slow it down, spend decades in there, you'll see it all. It's all in there. But the answer's in there also. And so I want to take us back to Genesis chapter 3. If you have your Bible, turn to Genesis 3. I'm going to read 10 verses, 1 through 10. Then I'm going to pull out a few of the key ideas for today only out of that passage. It'll be on the screen if you didn't bring your Bible today. So here we go. Let me read verse 1 through 10. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. They're giving you a description of the enemy of Satan. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, Now notice the serpent doesn't use Lord God, which was used two lines earlier. He just uses God. So he's, not, he's trying to eliminate God as the Lord of your life. You shall Indeed, as God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. In other words, he's questioning what God says, and he always questions what God says. Verse 2, the woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may, in other words, yeah, you listen, we can eat from this stuff. But, then she says, there's one thing we can't do. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or, or touch it. God never said she couldn't touch it. That's religion. Man starts putting all these man-made ideas upon Christianity. Jesus came to rip all those man-made ideas apart. Or you will die. Now that's true. You eat from that one fruit, you're going to die. God said it. it's, it's a done deal. Verse 4, the serpent said to the woman, you surely shall not die. Come on, Eve, get, get over it. That's not true. God's not telling you the truth. Then he says, for God knows that in the day you eat from it, the moment you eat from that fruit, the first bite of that fruit, Eve, what's going to happen is your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing what? Good and Now, what's going on there is why some of us are looking at our world right now thinking, have they gone insane? Because at that moment, he's saying, if you eat from the tree, Eve, you will be God. You will be the shot caller. You will decide what is right, and you will decide what is wrong. You go with what you feel. And that's why we're looking at our culture today. And how many of you look out there and you wonder, are we just going nuts I mean, this is crazy now. This is insane what people are putting forth as right and good and everything else. It's because we've made ourselves God by rejecting God and now we deify our personal opinions. And that's what's going on right now. You don't believe that? Read Romans chapter one today. It's a perfect compliment to that statement right there. Verse six, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, now she's focusing on it. And that it was a delight to the eyes. And the tree was desirable to make one wise. In other words, you'd be smarter if you eat that fruit. Come on, eat it. She took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Adam was standing right there. She goes, okay, I'll eat it, even though he knew not to do it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they, say the word, They knew. See, before, the serpent said, you eat from it, and you're going to know the difference between good and evil, but now we find out they, they know, now know something different. It didn't happen that way after all, that they were naked, Then now they knew they're naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. It's a, who knew that Eve could sew? Amen on that one, right? I always marry a girl that can sew and that can cook, guys, okay? Verse 8. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. This is, this is normal, everyday God stuff for them. This is everyday. Here comes God. And the man and his wife hid... Now something changes after this. The man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now they're hiding from each other. No authenticity. And now they're hiding from God. No authenticity. Hmm, interesting. Verse 9. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Isn't that a great question from God to all of us? That God would ask us regularly, Where are you in our relationship, Jim Del Campo? Where, where are you in, 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 our, in our reading this Bible? Where are you in your worship? Where are you in your walk of Where are you, Christian? Where are you in that stuff today, this season, this week? It's a great question. Now, when God says, where are you? It's not like God was going, I can't find Adam in those trees at all. God knew where he was, but it's a great question. Verse 10, he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. He heard that sound every day of his life. It was a short life so far. And I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. Lack of authenticity. Let's pray and let's get into it. God. open our ears, open our hearts. It is the root of a lot of problems here when it comes to us, when it comes to our relationships, when it comes to the way we act out, behave, interact, when it comes to our security or lack thereof, insecurity. It's right there. There it is. And so, God, I pray that you would enlighten us that the eyes of our heart may be enlightened, as Paul wrote. In Jesus' name we pray, and we all say, Amen. amen. I got some questions now. Question number one. The serpent tells Eve, the day you eat from that fruit, you will have, here's the question, you will have a spiritual upward mobility or a spiritual downward mobility? What did he tell her? It will be an upward mobility. She eats the fruit, and once she eats the fruit, The result is an upward mobility or a downward mobility. It's a downward mobility. Satan always promises this is a great way, but once we partake, it always ends up in downward mobility. And so now you see that things are starting to go haywire right away. When he asks, where are you? We could maybe rephrase that and say, he's asking Adam, where's the real you? Where are you really at? Because you're hiding behind trees, and I can see you in the leaves there. You're covered in fig leaves. I can see that. Now, I want you to think about this. Eve, she, um, she takes the fig leaves after they've sinned, and they're naked now. They feel shame. And so she sows the fig leaves to cover up. Now, I want you, now think, now think, now think. In Genesis chapter 1, just two chapters earlier, God, when he created man... He says, let us make man in our image. That was a good thing. Every human's created in the image of God. But now two chapters later, Satan says, yeah, you have upward mobility. They eat, no, it's downward mobility. Now she says, oh no, we're naked. Shame comes to the world. I'm bad, I'm wrong, I fall short. Now she has to take fig leaves and cover up. What she's actually doing is she's rejecting the image of God and now she's putting up and creating a new false image that she believes will be accepted by Adam, by God, and by everyone else. We all do that. We all fall into that idea. I project a personality, or maybe I project what I own, and I'm trying to figure out what everybody, what, what everyone will accept, because they can't possibly accept this right here. And so we create new image all the time and marketers and commercials and advertising, they don't realize they're just loading up on this chapter, but they're taking advantage of it because they know there's a dissatisfaction with ourselves because I fall short, not just eternally, but it's on the inside. It's intrinsic now because of sin, because of shame, it's internal and it affects my authenticity with everyone else around me. I'm not going to drop my guard. I might even create a different personality out of myself that I think people will accept because they can't possibly accept what I am. Now, are you following me so far? Say yes or no. Okay, now, I'm going to get into some symptoms which I do every week. It's It's a short list, but listen closely. And the reason why I give you symptoms every week is because, not to make you feel bad, but to hopefully open your eyes to see some of the things, how this thing works. Because how will you know? How will I even know that I'm living abnormal if I don't even know what normal and abnormal look? If I'm just guessing all the time. So I, I, I put these things here. They're not in your notes. They're, they'll be on the screen to help us to maybe see some things. Now, I'm going to go through each one. Some I'll camp a little longer than others. But, but here we go. And let's be really honest now because we're church people, most of us. Let's be really honest about these things. Here we go. First one is this. The I fall short syndrome. I will not attempt for fear that I do not have what it takes. In other words, God will drop something into me and say, take a step out, but I'm not gonna do it because I second guess and I'm afraid I don't have what it takes to do that or accomplish that. Anybody know what that feels like? Raise your hand if you I want to know. Okay, so now we know because now what we're telling ourselves is I fall short. Now, some of you probably think from time to time, God never speaks to me. That's a lie, my friend. Yes, he does. Because I'll ask another question. How many of you at times, there are seasons or days where the devil is just bombarding and attacking your mind? Raise your hand. So you can admit out loud the devil speaks to you. (laughs) But when it comes to God, no, God's not talking to me. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. All the good stuff that comes into your mind, the Holy Spirit whom Jesus sent lives in you as a believer, and if he lives in you, he's talking inside of you to your user-friendly mind and heart. Any amens on that one? So if you think the devil's talking all, God's talking to you too. It's just a different voice. He's, he's speaking good things, so never ever say God is not dropping thoughts in your mind. So think about it. If, you know, we question ourselves, I, I don't step out because maybe I don't have what it takes. If God put the thought in your mind, therefore, do you stand to reason that God thinks you do have the gifts and abilities with his power to carry that out and to do that? Does that make any sense? It makes perfect sense in my spirit. Now, the second thing is this. I am careful about my choice of words. Let me illustrate this one. Do not raise your hand or say amen till I'm completely done illustrating it. And then I'll ask you to raise your hand. How many of us, when we're talking one-on-one with someone, or maybe there's two or three, maybe even four in this little group we're talking with, wherever you're at, don't raise your hand, let me finish. You're, you, you really are careful and really exercise. A lot of energy to make sure you say the right things out loud. Don't raise your hand. And even after you've shared and talked out loud to this one, two, or three people, you walk away and you think to yourself, that was stupid. I just, why did I say that? I should have said this is it. raise your hand if they, you know what that, raise your hand, everybody, raise your hand who it is. Raise your hand. Look, look around the room, everybody. Raise them up high so everybody knows. Raise them up. Look around the room. That's right. And you thought you're the only one. See, when you walk away going, I'm so stupid, they're walking away going, I'm so stupid. Everyone's... But let me tell you right now, I just freed some of you, because some of you maybe never have thought that, that could be a dysfunction. You never have thought that that could be the I fall short, and you never have thought that maybe that you could say something good, and you don't have to second guess or waste energy rehearsing, next time I'm going to say this, this, and this, and this. How tiring is that? Right? How about the next one? Self-doubt. Let's be honest. How many times and how many who of us in this room, we walk around on somewhat regularity, not all the time, you think to yourself after, they don't like me. That person doesn't like me. And, And then that person finds out that you said they don't like me, and they're like, what? How could you possibly think something like that? Right? Self-doubt. How about this one when it comes to self-doubt? You're either married or, you know, let's take it from a guy perspective. You're married to this gal or maybe you're dating this gal and you go somewhere and your girlfriend or wife is talking to these people and there's a guy there and the guy's laughing and your girlfriend or wife is laughing and you're sitting there and you're like, you're just, man, you're, you're, you know what I'm talking about, huh? <laughs> right? Yeah. Am I, am I right? That, now, who are you doubting? Her or yourself? You're doubting yourself. You're doubting that she would actually want you, right? Let me tell you, let me free all of you right now. When that girl, when, when that girl started dating you, guy, she dating the lotto, my friend. When that girl married you, husband, she won the lotto, okay? And vice versa. Ladies, that guy dating you, he's got the he won the lotto, right, ladies? And when he married you, not just because you can cook. And you look good in that dress? He won the lotto. I tell my wife that regularity. I said, we were married September 19, 1981. I've told you this before. I say, babe, nine nineteen eighty one. 1981, you won the lotto. My. It's just what it is. So you lose the self-doubt, my friends. Ah, you just lose it. Just know that God, you're creating the image of God. Why wouldn't they want you? How about this one? I might exaggerate or even lie to look better to others. Now, how many know that exaggerating can be lying? Think about how many times, because I, I struggled with this for years, exagger- padding my stats a little bit to make myself look a little better because down inside I fall short. Anybody know what I mean by that? Yeah, we don't have to do that anymore. We're okay. How about this one? Imposter syndrome. Let me tell you about imposter syndrome. Twenty-some years ago, at Auburndale Intermediate, when we used to meet there as a church, set up, tear down. One of my guitarists one day during the week said to me, "He goes, and he's a good guitarist." He said, "Man, I just I feel like a fake when I'm on stage. I'm just terrible." What are you talking about? Well, because there was this other guitarist on stage who was really good too. And he said, when I stand next to him playing guitar, I feel like I'm just terrible. I feel like if they're going to find out I'm not very good, I'm an imposter. How many of us, we measure ourselves by other people, and we always fall short, huh? I'm an imposter. I'm an imposter. I'm an imposter. That's a lie. That's a lie. I'm going to prove it to you in a little bit. How about this one? I'm not smart. Honestly, let's be really honest. How many in this room you have at times such as, I'm not very smart? Raise your hand up high. Raise your foot up high if you can raise your hand. I'm not smart. Let me tell you, everyone is smart in areas and everyone is stupid in areas, okay? Isn't that true? Look, you don't want me to put brakes on your car because you're going to die really soon because I am stupid when it comes to that. You know what are you about? But if you ask me to, some scriptures and tell oh, man, I'm brilliant, baby. I got it down path. 39 years and 10 months, I can I can I can cut this thing up, but I'm I'm smart there, but I'm dumb in other areas. That's true of everyone. You're it's not that you're not smart. You are smart in certain areas, and you're just plain stupid in other areas. The way I'm smart in some areas, and I'm just dumb and stupid in other areas is what it is. Some things you're gifted at, some things you're not. Now, how about this one? Live an artificial personality. In other words, you're exhausting yourself, putting up fig leaves, trying to put forth what you think other people will accept. This had to be like 1987 or 88. And I was a youth minister, meaning pastor of teens. I remember it vividly. There was a girl that moved to Corona. She's joining the youth group. We went on some event and we all we went this I know you youth people, the young people have it cooler now, you gotta canes afterwards, but yeah. <laughs> But we went to Denny's, okay? Yeah. And we were happening in the late eighties. So we walk in there and the one young girl, I I could just tell she just wasn't being herself. Something in me said she's just trying to put forth something that, and I remember I walk up to her and I said, as everybody's seated, I said, come here. I said, look, just be yourself. Don't try to be something else. You're okay, kid. You're okay, just be yourself. Her eyes watered up. Tears, right there in this Denny's on West 6th Street, right there where the the lady stands to seat you. And I remember it. I remember it vividly. See, everybody wants to be accepted, don't we? I mean, it's when we get older we don't care much about it anymore. (laughs) I don't care if you accept me or not. But boy, it's sure a painful thing when you're younger trying to figure out what, what fig leaves do I put up that, will, that I'll be accepted. Now, I'm going to give you three things that help me. This is not going to change you today. I say every week, nobody's getting healed today. It's all process. You got to keep processing. But let me give you three helpful truths that help me. The first one is this. When it comes to the yeah, I fall short syndrome. The first one is move from I've got to be better to what makes you or me unique. Does that make sense? See, if I live and I fall short all the time, I've got to get better, I've got to get better, I've got to get better, because people accept this. But I'm trying to get better in areas I'll never get better in. What if I focused on what makes me a unique person, right? Because that's where I'm gifted at, right? Now, now, I'm going to use my own life. How many want to know how ministers, preachers, fall into the I fall short, I don't have what it takes category? Anybody want to know that from my life? I bet you wanted nothing to Let me show you how it works. Way back in time, in a land far away, (laughs) back in the 40s, 50s, whatever it was, in the days of just radio, most of you don't even know those days. I don't either. I was born in 83. (laughs) But radio. And then, can you imagine when radio first came out and then there were these a few radio preachers and they were really good? Can you imagine being the preacher of a small little country church and now your people can hear that really, really good radio preacher? Oh my gosh, you want to go break every radio in the country. And then you move forward in time and you get into television the 60s and 70s and beyond. And now you can see a lot more great preachers on television and then they show the sanctuaries can feed like seat 15 million people. And there's all kinds, and you're sitting there going to your church of 100 or two, and you're thinking, I'm a loser. <laughs> no, really, I'm just being honest. And then social media comes along. And man, they can download this and that. And you see, here's the reality that I have to face in my life, and I've had to face it. At any given moment of any given day, You can go listen to, download, watch, whatever it is, in your car, you know, riding your horse and the horse trails, whatever it is. You can listen to a hundred, if not a thousand better preachers in America than me. That's a fact. That's a fact. So what do I do with that? Well, I've got to realize that I don't have to be better than everyone else. I have to be my own unique self, right? So do you. Let me tell you what that means for me. I had to finally come to the realization that my uniqueness is that um, I'm here called of God just to make broken people whole. And that's all I'm called to do. And to use these scriptures to bring that truth into people's lives. Why do you think when I said, you walk away, I'm stupid, on this and that, you could relate to it? Because that's a broken part, and I'm just trying to make broken people whole. But if I focus in on that, then I've hit my niche, and I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Does that make sense? So I focused on my uniqueness, not in where I fall short. So what I'm telling you is, you got to turn your shame into I got game, my friends. That's what you got to do. Turn your shame into I got game. Because you all got game. But it leads to the second thing, and that's this. The second thing that helped me is this. There's no winning comparison. So I can't compare myself to others. I can't try to duplicate somebody else's life in me. It just will not work. Right? And that leads to the third thing in your notes, and that's this. Making a mistake doesn't make you a fake. See, when you fall short, when you, I don't have what it takes, however the words are for you, whatever insecurity, how many, be honest now, when you make a mistake, when you fail at something, when you sin, you feel like, I'm just a loser. Raise your hand. It's just like, it's just overwhelming. Come on, raise it up high so people can see. Yeah, it's just, it's over, it's encompass all encompassing, huh? Let me tell you, look, 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 let me tell you what helped me, failure, the statement hurt heard along failure is simply an event, it's not a person, it's not a person, but the I fall short syndrome says, no, it's your, entire per, it's your entire life, you're just a walking imposter, no, it's not true, when we fail, when we mess up, which we're going to do, every one of us, it's just an event, you get up, and you just keep going, now, with all that said, let me now give you the answer to everything, I thought I was going to drop that, I'm still pretty quick, So, um, Adam and Eve sinned. Now, listen, Adam and Eve sinned. And it's a mess now. And we're all suffering because of that. Now, think of everything that happened after they sinned. First off, there's no authenticity in a husband-wife relationship. They put fig leaves up, and I'm not going to drop my guard. You're not going to know the real me, even though we all scream, Authenticity. So that happens. And then we hide in trees. Now I'm going to hide from God because God cannot possibly accept this. I've created my new image of fig leaves, but I'm going to hide from God. So we we walk away from God because we feel like God doesn't accept us or something like that. And then it says that they were afraid. And we walk in fear. If people knew the real me, if they knew what's really going on in my life, oh my gosh, they wouldn't like me. And then we live in more fear. You don't like me, which is a lie. And then from there, they go to blame. She, he blames her. She blames a serpent. And all we do is walk around blaming other people for things that possibly we should take responsibility for. Any amens there? So you see it right there. And that creates even more distance in relationships in us and more inauthenticity. And then it says, that now the woman, when she has a baby naturally, she will experience amazingly severe pain giving birth to that child. Oh, joy, huh, ladies? That was a lot of fun, wasn't it? But then it also says that Adam, now that work, the, the, the work would be by the sweat of his brow, would be a lot harder. The ground would now grow weeds. Guys, there's a whole industry called weed whackers that benefit from Adam's sin, right? And can you imagine Adam's first day to work on that Sunday, because there's Sabbath and Saturday, on that Sunday after sin, and now work is really hard? Can you imagine what he thought to himself? Why did I ever eat Eve's apple pie? <laughs> or something like that. But let me tell you, in the middle of all that dysfunction, in the middle of all that negative, uh, uh, I fall short stuff, in the middle of it all, God gives an answer. Not, not in your notes yet, but Genesis 3.15. It says that God, God's going to send the seed of a woman who's going to crush the head of the serpent. The seed of the woman, the first mention of Messiah to come, who we know as Jesus Christ, is in verse 15 of Genesis 3. Boom. God says, there's a problem. You fall short. I'm going to fix it. I got the solution. I'm going to send my son. He's coming. He's going to crush that serpent's head. And he sends Jesus. And Jesus comes to earth 2,000 years ago. Dies on a cross, sheds his blood to forgive us our sin, to wash away our sins past, present, future, to put us in right standing with God, meaning I don't fall short anymore. But wait a minute. The moment God says that, when that sin happened, Adam and Eve said, it would be 4,000 more years, give or take a few years, before Jesus would ever come. That's a long time, isn't it, to sit in that predicament? It's a long time. So God says, I got I to put a Band-Aid on the situation. Pretty good Band-Aid, but it's not the ultimate. So in Genesis 3.21, on the screen, please, it says, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. So God, who knew God was a, could sew also? Now, here's my question. What did God make garments of? Skin. Which by deduction, deductional reasoning, you now assume from that verse that God had to do what? Had to kill an animal. So God kills an animal, takes the skins of it, and sows covering, which is the word atone for Adam and Eve, to cover them. It's a band-aid to cover the shame, to cover the eye fall short. God does that. And that was a Band-Aid that was set in motion for 4,000 years. That's why the sacrifices of the Old Testament. And then Jesus came, and he's the fulfillment of it all, that he's the perfect sacrifice. It's his blood that doesn't just cover sin. His blood cleanses away sin, all of it. And now I'm in right standing with God. And there's some benefits to that. There are many benefits, but I'm going to share with you just one. Why don't you think now? Why don't you think? don't don't lose me think in psalm chapter 8 the psalmist is out there in the middle east there 20 some hundred years ago there's no light posts there's no city lights there's no signs along freeways there's no freeway lights just dark out there. And one night he looks in the sky and he pens these words. He says, God, when I look at the heavens, when I see all the stars up there, this is what I wonder. All that, all you created and you think about me? You actually think about me? Now think of what he's saying. He's saying, I'm just a speck standing on a speck called Earth that's floating in a group of specks called the solar system. That's part of a little larger group of specks called the Milky Way galaxy. But it's a very small galaxy in comparison to the other billion galaxies in the universe, which science through Hubble have determined now that the universe is expanding, and it's been expanding from the moment it was created. I'd like to know what's on the other side. It's God, which baffles my mind why, and I get it if you're an atheist or skeptic or a questioner or a seeker, you're wondering, "Now, come on, man, there can't be a God. Think about it. How can man send a probe into space to Mars and be able to calculate that Mars will be in this location, this spin at this time, and we're going to land the probe right there because everything follows its course. How can we do that? Well, there's a God who created all that keeps everything in his control and everything stays on course because of God. So to tell me there's not a designer behind the design? There's no way. Look at your own physical body. Come on, you think this is an accident? You're, come on. You're the lotto. So the guy looks up in the night sky. Who are you that you would even think of me? And then he says, oh, this is good. That you made man In other words, you made me and you made you, God, all these people, a little lower than God. That should have put shivers down your spine because the real issue of what he's saying is this. I fall short, but I only fall a little bit shorter than God. And if I'm a little bit Less than God, I'm way a lot more than everything else. Does that make sense? And when I start to realize who I am, that I'm just as good as the next person, that I don't, I'm not less than. That God gave me the ability to do what it takes within my personal gift makeup. Why wouldn't people like me? I'm not going to doubt myself. I'm not going to worry about my wife or whatever leave me. Why would they? <laughs> I can take risks. I can step out into scary places that God is triggering me to do. Because, yeah, I'm a little bit less, but just a little bit less than God which means I'm a lot more than everything else. And I don't need the fig leaves anymore because I'm created in the image and the likeness of God. And that makes me and you pretty special. Amen. Stand up with me this morning.